To be completely honest with you, today's a little strange for me uh, because we are in week three of this series called Reality Check, and I haven't preached the first two. Uh, It's the first time since I've been a pastor that I haven't introduced a sermon series, let alone preach the first one or the second one. I'm preaching week three, and I'm finally into it. So if you're here for the first time today and you're just jumping into this series, don't feel bad, because so am I. (laughs) Uh, So we're on the same page. It's good to be back with you, though, and to be able to dig into God's Word and the truth that is there for our life. And today we look at this series called Reality Check, and I'm I'm really excited about it. I, I briefly mentioned it at the beginning of the service, but I'm excited for four reasons. Number one... Uh, we get to look at a section of Scripture that we don't generally look at. Uh, First and Second Kings uh, sometimes gets overlooked because there are so many names, so much turnover, and there's two kingdoms. Uh, quick history lesson: King David had all of King David and King Solomon had all of the kingdom of Israel, but then after King Solomon, uh, shortly around 950. Uh, B.C., the kingdom split into two. There was civil war, and there was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And so 1 Kings and 2 Kings goes back and forth between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and there's so many names, it can get confusing, and we just don't even bother looking at it. And so we're looking at a section of Scripture that we don't generally look at. Number two, I'm excited because we get to look at these kings who were powerful in their day, and we get to see the reality check that they needed. Number three, it allows us to reflect and meditate on the reality check that we may need two to 3,000 years later. But then number four, we get to see the loving grace and mercy of our God. The love that he has for flawed individuals like these kings, the love that he has for flawed people like you and me. Last week we looked at King Ahab, uh, who may have been the most wicked king that Israel ever had. And it all came down to pride. God would send prophet after prophet after prophet to Ahab, and God would say, go right, and Ahab would purposely go left. God would say, jump, and Ahab would sit. God would say, don't do that, and he would do it, just to spite God. There was pride built up in Ahab's heart to the point where he refused to listen to God. In fact, he introduced Baal worship in Israel, which was among the most detestable false gods that there was, all because of his hatred for God. Today we're looking at a different word. We're looking at a word zeal. Zeal's a weird word because we don't use it in everyday language. Uh, In fact, when was the last time you used the word zeal? Probably only in a religious setting, right? Oh, he's zealous for God. What does that even mean? (laughs) Uh, Zeal means passionate, excited, exuberant. Uh, It's zeal for the Lord or zeal in a religious setting. It's passion. And so what we're going to see today is what does zeal 
look like? And we have a great opportunity because a man named Jehu, who became king, claimed to have a lot of it. Let me give you the background here. King Ahab had died, and his son Joram became king over Israel. And a man named Jehu was a commander in the army of Joram's military. And one day, Jehu had something happen to him that would completely change his life. A prophet showed up and said, hey, commander, I have a message for for you from the Lord. Come with me over here. And so they went into a private room, and the prophet said, Jehu, the Lord anoints you king over Israel. He's anointed you king over Israel, and here's your task. Wipe out Ahab's family. Make the family tree stop. Cut them all down. Seems pretty harsh. Why would God ask him to do that? That doesn't seem very merciful. God had reached out. He had reached out. He had reached out, and Ahab and his entire family stiff-armed God for so long that now judgment was coming. Not only was there so much pride built up in their hearts, but they introduced Baal worship and led people away from the true God. And now judgment was coming. And it was coming through Jehu. And so Jehu got up. He left that meeting. He got on his chariot. And he took off to do the task at hand. And he started with Joram, the king. And sometimes there's funny moments in Scripture. And I think 2 Kings chapter 9 is a funny one. Uh, considering the context. <laughs> He's going to wipe out the family. Uh, so that's not exactly funny. But this part is, uh, Joram is sitting in his, in his kingdom, in his, in his castle, and he's got watchmen out there, and they see someone coming on the chariot, and, they, and Joram says, who's coming? And the, guy, and, and, and the watchman says, it looks like Jehu. He drives like a maniac. Uh, could have been said about one of us driving today. He drives like a maniac. Uh, but he goes and he kills Joram. And then he goes throughout the whole kingdom and wipes out all of Ahab's family, one by one. And on his way, he runs into a man named Jehonadab. And Jehonadab comes up to him, and and Jehu says, are you in accord with me? In other words, are, are we on the same page? Do we want the same thing? And Jehonadab says, yes. And that's when Jehu says, come. He grabs him by the hand. He says, come. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And so let's go with Jehu and see his zeal for the Lord. After he wipes out all of King Ahab's family, there's one last thing to do, and it's to purge the land of Baal worship. We're in 2 Kings chapter 10, beginning with verse 18. Then Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests, See that no one is missing, because I'm going to hold a great sacrifice for Baal. Anyone who fails to come will no longer live. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the servants of Baal. Stop right there. Jehu, we, uh, we love the zeal. Not so keen on the deception part, though, here. <laughs> uh, what does Jehu do? He sends out a mandatory save-the-date to all the servants, all the priests of Baal, to come because Jehu supposedly going to have a huge festival to Baal. And so all the priests, 
and all the servants of Baal come. Why would they come if Jehu's going to destroy them all? Well, they don't know that. Uh, Jehu's actions up to this point are pretty typical of a new king coming in, where they wipe out all of the king's family beforehand. And so they, they look and they say, well, Jehu says, Ahab served him much, I'm going to serve him more, or a little, I'm going to serve him much, so okay, let's go. And so all the priests of Baal, all the servants of Baal come to the temple where there's going to be this huge festival. And yet, he was going to destroy all of Baal worship. What was so detestable about Baal worship? The way you worship Baal and his sister slash wife Asherah uh, was you would go to the temple and the temple was adorned with all these sex symbols and you'd go in and you would perform sexual activity, prostitution, fornication uh, to worship Baal all in the name of religion. And then, if you became pregnant through that, you would then go and offer a child sacrifice. The, the child born out of that sexual activity in name of worship, you would then offer that child in a sacrifice to Baal and Asherah. It was a culture known for sexual freedom, done in religion, and killing of children, all done in the name of religion. And God hated it. And Jehu was going to get rid of it. Here's what we're told. Jehu said, call an assembly in honor of Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then he sent word throughout Israel, and all the servants of Baal came. Not one stayed away. They crowded into the temple of Baal until it was full from, from one end to the other. And Jehu said to the keeper of the wardrobe, Bring robes for all the servants of Baal. So he brought out robes for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal. Jehu said to the servants of Baal, Look around and see that no one who serves the Lord is here with you, only servants of Baal. So they went in and made, uh, to make sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had posted 80 men outside with this warning. If one of you lets one of any of the, the men I'm placing in your hands escape, it will be your life for his life. As soon as Jehu had finished making the burnt offering, he ordered the guards and officers, go in and kill them. Let no one escape. So they cut them down with the sword. The guards and officers threw the bodies out and then entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and people have used it for a latrine to this day. So, Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. There are some amazing sections of Scripture. Actually, it's all amazing. Um, but then you get some details in there, and, and you, you think, why was that in there? They go in and they take the sacred stone, they destroy it, they burn the temple down, and then what do they use it for? A latrine. <laughs> a, the, the town toilet. The public porta potty uh, the common commode. What other alliteration could we use to describe this? They, they would go and they'd use it as a toilet. They'd go to the bathroom in it. Why the detail? The only thing I can think is this is how detestable Baal worship was to God that he allowed his people to use the bathroom on this false god. 
You talk about zeal. You talk about passion. Look at Jehu's passion, his zeal for the Lord. Everything he did, he wiped out an entire family who introduced Baal worship. He wiped out all of Baal worship. There was no, Baal worship no longer existed. Why? Because all the priests were dead. All those who served Baal were dead. There was no one to carry on Baal worship. You talk about zeal. However, what are we told? He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit, the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. The Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. In those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Hazel overpowered the Israelites throughout the territory east of the Jordan and all the land of Gilead, the region of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aurora by the Arnon Gorge through Gilead to Bashan. As for the other events of Jehu's reign, all he did and all his achievements, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? Jehu rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria. And Jehoahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. However, Jehu, so zealous for the Lord, turns out had a divided heart. He had a passion, he had zeal for the Lord when it came to the big, disgusting idol in his eyes. But when it came to what he would consider smaller idols, he let them hang around. He was zealous for God when it came to the big idols that were introduced during his lifetime, but the ones that he grew up with, he was okay with. Instead of purging all of the idols, he purged only some. But that's not what God wants. Your first point today is when it comes to a zeal for the Lord, zeal for the Lord purges not just some idols, but all idols. Why did Jehu not purge the golden calves which people worshipped in place of God? Well, it could have been blind spots. He just really didn't realize because they're so around in the culture that this is wrong. It could have been that he found some security in it. It could have been he had a way to justify those idols and so he kept them in his life. He could have said, those, those are big and disgusting ones, but these aren't so big. People won't like it if I get rid of these, so I'm not going to do it. He had a divided heart that worshipped God in a way that he wanted to worship God, not the way God wanted to be worshipped. And so he let the idols hang around. There's a story, true story, of a college missionary team that went down to Antigua to help with mission work down there. And after a couple weeks of spending time together, uh, the American mission team came back and they were a little appalled at the Antiguan people, uh, the teens and, and college students. And the reason was because they said, how can they call themselves Christian? We were down there and all they talked about was how they were going around sleeping around with each other. 
How could they call themselves Christian if they continue to do those things? But a friendship had been established, and so those Antiguans came to America to visit the American college students, and they left saying, how can those American Christians call themselves Christians? All they do is get drunk, wake up, and brag about how much they drank the night before. And then they do it again the next night. How could they not see that what they're doing is against God's will? Divided hearts. Both had it. Both had blinders. Both justified their actions. Both looked and said, it's no big deal if I do this. That is wrong. Those idols are wrong. But the ones that I have in my heart are okay. What about you? Is your heart divided? Have you purged all the hearts or all the idols from your heart? Are you aware of the altars that are set up in the corners of your heart that you go and bow down to? What idols are there that are vying for the number one spot in your heart that you're allowing to keep around? Is it the idol of materialism? Is a motivating factor in your life to gain more and more money so that you can have more and more fun and replace your things with more and more fun things? Not necessarily a bad thing in general, until when it comes to a thank offering to the Lord, you cringe. You cringe thinking about giving an offering because of all the fun things you can do with it if you weren't giving it to God. Is it the idol of leisure? You guard and protect your leisure time. You guard and protect your family time. It's a non-negotiable. Is it your, your sports time? Is it uh, your alone time that you guard and protect? Your date night, you guard and protect it, and it's a non-negotiable. But your time with God on Sunday morning to worship Him is negotiable. Is it American politics that you have set up in your heart? You find your hope. You find your peace in the elected officials and what they're pushing through or not pushing through. Instead of finding your hope and peace in your God. Is it your work, your career? It's who you are, it's your identity. I need it, because if I don't have this, who am I? Is it your career, because it brings you success, and if you're not successful, then what are you? Instead of finding who you are and your success in the God of this world, is it something as good as your family? That you're willing to put your family in front of Jesus? What altars are in your heart? Even the good things can become bad things when they become idols and replace Jesus as the first and foremost in your life. And if we don't think this is a big deal, look at Jehu. What happened? The kingdom of Israel began to shrink because Jehu had a divided heart. Judgment came for Jehu. And that's true for you and me as well. God hates idolatry. It doesn't matter if it's the big gross idolatry out there 
or the, what we would consider small idolatry in our hearts, God wants us to purge the idols from our lives. Not just some, but all. So how do we do it? How do we purge the idolatry? How do we purge the idols? I've got good news and bad news. Bad news. You can't. I can't. Why? Because we have what's called the sinful nature. The part that loves sin. The part that, a part of our heart that hates God because we think God tells us what to do and controls us. We want to do this. We want to worship this. We want to hold on to this. And so we can't fully purge them from our lives. But God can. And he's done it through another king that he anointed. His son Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, around 700 B.C., Isaiah prophesies about this coming king. And what are we told? To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his government, there will be no end. He will rule with righteousness and justice forever. And what will accomplish it? The zeal of the Lord. See, it turns out our God is a zealous God. He's got zeal and passion for what? You. Our God has a zealous heart, passionate heart for you. How zealous? He gave up his one and only son, Jesus. Born into this world 2,500 years after Jehu. And how was Jesus described? John chapter 2. The zeal of the house of the Lord consumed him. He was zealous for worshiping God and God alone. Every time an idol tried to make an altar in his heart, Jesus said no, and he purged it. He never once bowed down to an idol. He never once clung to it for success, to make himself feel better. He never condoned what God said not to condone. He was zealous for God and God alone. And he cut everything out that could possibly pull him away. How zealous was Jesus for God? That the night before he died, he said, if there's any other way to save humanity, take this from me. And God said, there's no other way. And Jesus said, okay, I'm so zealous, so passionate for you, Father, and your will in my life that he willingly got up and he willingly was arrested, beaten, whipped, tortured, crucified. Why? So that your sins for idolatry would be forgiven. So that the hold of idols in your life could be broken. So that death wasn't your end, but life was your future. Think of the zeal that God must have for you. That he would give up his one and only son. For you that are parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, would you ever give up one of your little ones to die for somebody who doesn't even deserve it? Absolutely not. 
And yet, hundreds and thousands of years before God knew and wanted and anointed his son to come into the world to die for you and me. How zealous must must Jesus be that he would willingly go through all that just to have you as his own for eternity? I'll tell you what, the idol of materialism isn't sacrificing for you like that. The idol of your job is not sacrificing for you like that. The idol of your, your house, your home, they're not sacrificing for you. Your leisure time is not sacrificing for you like that. But your God did just to have you as his own. You talk about zeal. You talk about inspiring zeal. God's zeal for us is what motivates us to want to purge the idols that are tucked in every corner of our heart. And that's your last point this morning. The Lord's zeal for us inspires our zeal for Him. He is the one who breaks the hold of idols in our hearts. He is the one that makes us look and say, you don't want me to do that? I won't. Because I know how zealous you are for me. And if you don't want me to do it, it must be for my good. You don't want me to condone that? I'm not going to condone it because you know better. You want me to give an offering? You want my, my money? Take my silver and my gold. Not of might would I withhold. You want me to give up my job for you? Well, if that's what you want, okay. I'm willing to give up all of the idols, even though it may hurt, even though it may be uncomfortable. I'm willing to, to give it up because I've sat and meditated on how much of a zealous heart you have for me. A zealous heart that gave up your son. A zealous heart that went to the cross. A zealous heart that broke the hold of sin and death from my life. It's only through you that I have life. And so I'm willing to purge anything and all so that you are number one in my life. May God be with us as we meditate on the zeal of our Lord And as we meditate on the zeal of our Lord, it'll motivate us to be filled with zealousness for the Lord, to purge the idols from our life. God be with us as we do this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a zealous heart you have for us that hundreds and thousands of years before you even sent Jesus into this world, you had planned it to save us from sin, to save us from death, to break the hold of idols in our life. Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world Uh, for living perfectly, for having a zealous heart for the Lord in our place. Not as uh, an example for us, but uh, as our substitute. You did it so that we could have the perfect life that is required, a perfect heart, zealous for God. We thank you for going to the cross uh, where you shed your blood to forgive us of our sins and to break the power of death and and the hold it has over us. As we go out uh, and we leave here today, fill our hearts with zealousness for you. Send your spirit to uh, inspire zeal. Help us to sit and meditate on the zeal you have for us. Because as we do that, and we see the zealous heart you have for us, it'll inspire zealousness in our hearts to live lives for you and to purge the idols from our hearts. We ask you to bless us and uh, to watch over us, to guard, guard us and lead us in this. Amen.